the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Let me say this. Everything else flows from worship. When you are worshiping God, your evangelism and missionary activity and service and whatever you do, that is part of your worship. That's it. God wants us to be worshipers. He's not just taking us to heaven. He finds his greatest delight when we are making the most of him in our lives. This is the third message in the series on worship here on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is going to tell us why God wants us to be worshipers. This is a message we all need to hear. Here's Pastor Steve. But how critical is it that we really worship God? After all, there are Christians, many Christians, who it's not a priority to worship God. They really don't think much about it. They really don't do much about it. Why should you worship God? Well, let's look at this. Why is it important for us to worship God? Not too long ago, I was talking to a man about the gospel, about his need for Christ. And uh, as we discussed the gospel, this man asked me a very uh, critical question. I, I thought it was a very interesting, very penetrating question. He wanted to know why God was so concerned that people acknowledge who he is and worship him. That's a, that's a really good question. Why does God want that? But I must tell you, implied in his question was the accusation that if God wanted to be worshipped, it was because he must be on some kind of an ego trip, that he has this sort of infatuated view of himself that needs recognition. You know what? We all know people like that, don't we? People who crave recognition and attention and applause. And you know what? When we're exposed to that, I don't know about you, but I can't stand it. It's obnoxious. And you know why it's obnoxious? Because it's like worshiping a worm. You know, they're, they're not worthy of worship. They're sinners, fallen creatures, who in their pathetic pride have exalted themselves and they have lusted for you to recognize them and, and exalt them as well. And, and it, it's sort of sickening to see that. They think that they're exalted and, and great, but they're not. So we don't worship them. But listen, God alone truly is exalted. God alone truly is perfect. God alone truly is majestic. God is truly great. God is truly sovereign. There are no rivals with him. He is the most high God. He says his glory he'll not share with another. He is the ruler of heaven and earth. He is the creator. He is the the almighty one. God alone is worthy of, of worship. And therefore, to recognize him and to applaud him and to praise him and adore him for who he is, is fitting and proper. He's the only one that it fits and is appropriate to do that with because of who he is. That's why we worship him. It's because he is worthy of everything we give to him. I want you to hear the words of the psalmist. Will you turn, please, to Psalm 96? Since I told you, the psalms, for the most part, are worship 
praise songs. It's David and, and others who got alone with the Lord and, and sang to him and, and exalted him and blessed him. Now, you understand that I mean, he is exalted. When I say exalted and blessed him, he is exalted already. He is blessed. It just means we, we recognize that. But notice Psalm 96, how it starts. It's an invitation to worship. The psalmist said, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. We are invited in these verses to worship the Lord by singing to him, giving him our praise and song. We're told to praise him to others as we, as we tell of his wonderful works of salvation. But why? Why should we worship him? That's what we're really asking. Why? Well, he tells us, beginning with verse 4. Let's read. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. What the psalmist is saying is there's no one else like God. He stands alone as, as being qualified to be worshipped and admired for his greatness, his majesty, his honor, his strength, his beauty. Therefore, all the families of the earth are exhorted to worship him. Notice verses 7 through 9. Ascribe, which means give, recognize, ascribe to the Lord. O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Now, we are to recognize and give God recognition for who he is. But I believe that the, the accurate interpretation, the way to interpret this psalm is that this psalm, Psalm 96, anticipates that coming day when in the millennial kingdom, all the nations of the earth, believers, will come and worship Jesus Christ. I think this is a, uh, a, a kingdom reigning worship of Christ as he rules out of Jerusalem. And, and the reason I say that, we won't take the time to do this, but if you read on, you'll see that he speaks about judgment. It's not about the church, as there are people from all tribes and nations in the church, but he talks about the Lord coming and, and the judgment that will come. He is talking, I believe, about the, the future reign of Christ in that kingdom. That's in the future. When every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. However, God wants to be worshipped by his people now. He's not waiting for the future alone. He wants to be worshipped now. And he is passionate about this. In fact, remember in the Ten Commandments, and, and as well as Exodus 34, 14. I'm sure you remember Exodus 34, 14. God said that he was a jealous God. A jealous God wanting to be worshipped. He's talking about his zeal and his jealousy that thou shalt not worship any other idols. Worship him and him alone. God is passionate about his people worshipping him. Now, there's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Why is it so important that God be worshipped? What does God get out of this? Well, I want to quote to you from a great book by Warren Wiersbe called Real Worship. Here's what he said. But what does God do while we worship? He knows all things, so our worship doesn't surprise him. He owns all things, so our gifts don't enrich him. He is, he is perfect in all his attributes, so our fellowship with him cannot improve him. 
What then does our worship do for God? When we witness to him in praise, prayer, and, and giving, what is accomplished in heaven? We may not be able to explain it, but the Bible declares that God delights in his people and responds to their worship and obedience. God is not the prisoner of his own attributes. He is free to respond to his creation and his children. He quotes them from Psalm 104, 34, which says, May my meditation be sweet to him. He said that's the prayer of the psalmist, suggesting that God is pleased when we, wor- when we think about him. God's divine nature is not affected by our worship, but his response to our love and his relationship to us in our walk and work are certainly affected. You know what that tells us? It tells us that the reason we ought to worship God, why it's so important, is that he derives pleasure from your worship. He derives pleasure from his people worshiping him. It pleases him. It it just pleases him. It's not something you get out of it. It's something that he gets out of it. Therefore, it's not that critical the whether you sing a chorus or a, or a hymn or it has this tune or that. The issue is, is he enjoying your worship? That's really the issue. God enjoys it. He is passionate, jealous for his people to worship him. But you know what? The Bible says no one in and of themselves seeks God. No one is born a true worshiper. Nobody just uh, as they get older, just says, I think I'll worship God. No one seeks after God. We've all turned aside to to our own way, and that usually means self-worship. Therefore, it is God who seeks us to make us worshipers. And I'd like you to see in John chapter 4 what we mean by this. John chapter 4, God seeks your worship, which is an astounding truth in and of itself when we realize that we are sinners. Deserving judgment, rebellious, struggling still with our, with our sin, even after we're saved, that God has sought us and has made us worshipers. In John chapter 4, we are told about an encounter that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman while he was traveling from the south in Israel, Judea, up to the northern part, which is known as Galilee. In in weeks to come, I want you to know that we'll look more closely at uh, our Lord's conversation with this woman about worship. But what I'd like for you to see today is that Jesus purposely went out of his way in order to seek this woman to be a true worshiper of God. I I, I call your attention to verses 3 and 4. John tells us that he left Judea, which is in the south, and went away again into Galilee, which is in the the north. And it said, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, that's very interesting. John tells us he had to do this. But you know what? Geographically speaking, he did not have to do that. That was the shortest route to, to get from Judea to Galilee, but he could have gone by way of the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. He could have actually gone by way of the Jordan River to the, uh, to the west, could have gone east or west. He chose the shortest route, not because geographically he had to do that, because he didn't have to do that. I want to suggest to you that uh, when John said in verse 4 he had to pass through Samaria, it was not a geographic necessity, but a spiritual necessity. And, and I think the passage, the whole chapter, suggests that to us because the, this chapter tells us that, uh, that Jesus went out of his way to initiate a conversation with the Samaritan woman in order to lead her to salvation. It was very unnatural what he did. If you notice verse 9, it says, Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, this is after he asked her for a drink, 
How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? And then John adds, for way of clarification, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. There was real prejudice uh, between them. Uh, Samaritans were a, a mixed people of Jew and Gentile. They had different worship. They had some things right, but they, they brought in paganism to the, uh, to the truth about God. And, and, uh, and so this was very abnormal for Jesus to just, especially as a Jewish man, a Jewish rabbi, to strike up a conversation with a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. So I want to suggest to you that, that it was for a spiritual reason, necessity, that, that Jesus went through Samaria. But what I want you to really notice is that uh, Jesus, in speaking to her, equates salvation with worship. Verse 20. Now they're having a conversation, and, and she, really, she really tries to get him off track. He actually reveals to her her immorality, and she wants to talk about worship. And he says, verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people, meaning you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. They, they worshiped in a place called Mount Gerizim. And uh, she's really trying to, you know, deal with like, what church do you go to? That kind of thing. It's like when you're sharing the gospel with someone, what is your church? As if that's, you know, relevant. But Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. He's, he's saying you Samaritans really don't worship the truth. You, you don't have full knowledge. In fact, the Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament and, and uh, perhaps the book of Joshua. They did not accept anything else. He says, we worship, meaning we Jews, we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Notice this, for such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. What an incredible statement. Jesus said that the Father seeks people to worship him. And it is only through faith in his Son that we become true worshipers of the Father. God cares so much about your worship that he sought you to, to make you not just a believer, not just take you to heaven, but to make you a worshiper who would worship him from the day of your salvation through all of eternity. Now, I want us to think about that for a moment. Do you think you just realize how important worship is that, that God would seek you? You didn't seek him. You didn't find him. He wasn't lost. He found you. He sought you. He seeks us for salvation to turn us from those who are involved in self-worship to those who would worship him. In other words, you were saved to worship the Father through the Son. That's what you were saved to do. In fact, salvation and worship are so inseparable that the Apostle Paul used the term worship to identify us as Christians. Let me show you this. Philippians chapter 3. This is a, a, great, uh, a great statement, and it's good for you. In case somebody asks you, well, well what, what are you? You know, you go to, what is a lakeside community chapel? You, are you a Baptist? Are you Presbyterian? Are you Lutheran? What, what, are, what are you? Here's what you tell them. This is biblical. This is what Paul said. He said in verse 3, chapter 3, we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You tell them that that's what you are and uh, they will be more confused than when the conversation began. But what Paul is saying is that's what, that's what a Christian is. He's a true worshiper. 
He's a true worshiper. He worships in the Spirit of God. That's what we are. Worship in the Spirit of God. So why do we worship the Lord? For the sole reason is that this is what God wants from us. And you know what? You know what? This is where it begins. Everything else flows from this. Sometimes you hear people, depending on who's speaking, they'll tell you the most important thing is that you do this. If somebody is in missions, they'll tend to say the most important thing you can do is, is evangelize and, and be involved in missions. And if you hear somebody, well, the most important thing you can do is serve the Lord. The most important thing you can do. Let me say this. Everything else flows from worship. It's not, it's not that you can even categorize the Christian life. It's, it's when you are worshiping God, your evangelism and missionary activity and service and whatever you do, that is part of your worship. That's it. You might be in an uncomfortable situation, in an uncomfortable situation and, and not be very uh, uh, pleasant in witnessing. We do that because we worship the Lord. We give Him our best in terms of telling others about Him. We serve in the nursery. Because that's worship. We're giving him ourselves. It's not always the most pleasant task. But it's worship. It's worship. That's the priority. This is what God wants from his children. And I want you to keep in mind, this is what we do for him, not for ourselves. And the last verse I want you to look at is Acts chapter 13. I'll read another verse, but this is what I want you to see. Acts chapter 13. I want you to grasp that worship is what we do for him, not us. We don't get anything out of it. At least we don't do it to get anything out of it. You may indeed derive great pleasure and enjoyment, and then that's right, and we should, but that's the result, not the, not the goal. It's what we do for him. In Acts chapter 13, we're told, Luke tells us about uh, the church at Antioch, and that was Paul and Barnabas's home church. And it says this, Now, verse 1, now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. These were the teachers. These were the leaders of the church. But notice this. What were they doing? While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, it says the Holy Spirit then said, set Barnabas and Saul apart for me. But what I want you to see is they were ministering to the Lord. They, they must have been gathered in, in praise and worship and, and giving their teaching to him and, and it, it, their giving and all that. It was ministering to him. Worship is what you do to the Lord and for the Lord. That's what he wants from us. You can reduce worship to this. It is giving to God. I'm not just talking about money. It's part of it, but it is giving to God. Worship is giving him something. Adoration, praise, honor, recognition for who he is. It's for him and to him. Psalm 95, verse 6 and verse 7. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hands. Let's bow for prayer. Every message from the Word of God demands a response. But I think this in particular demands your response. You cannot be neutral about worship. Either you will go away from here determined to worship God on a daily basis, or you will harden your heart to the Lord and you will just go through the motions 
on Sunday. But I want to ask you, do you sense in your heart a longing to worship Him? Do you feel inadequate in your worship? All, all of us do. We should. I certainly feel inadequate in my worship. You cry out to God like the psalmist did. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you early, earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You cry out like the psalmist in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. You were created to worship him. Your heart, ought to, as believers, ought to long for that. If that's the case, then you need to tell him that. You need to express that to him. Do it right now. I'm going to give you a few moments of silence, but I want you to, to also consider, have you ever worshipped him by presenting yourselves to him as a living sacrifice, laid your life on the altar, said, Lord, every part of me belongs to you. Every part. If you've never done that, Paul says, do it. Once and for all, do it. And then tomorrow, you reaffirm it. And the next day, you reaffirm it. And the next day, and the next day, and the next week, and until it's a habit. Every part of you belongs to him. That's what he wants to hear. That will bring delight to his heart if you mean it. But if you're not a believer in Christ, I want you to know it is the Father's seeking of you that will bring you to salvation. He wants you to worship him. And if you sense a tug at your heart that you know that you're so caught up with yourself and that's not right, and you know that you're a sinner, you know that you have suppressed the truth, you have not obeyed your conscience, you have not obeyed what you know about the Word of God, you are a sinner, you have violated God's Word, God's will, you deserve hell, you deserve eternal punishment, a holy God has condemned you. Know that there is provision made for your salvation. It is through Christ and, and His death on the cross for you alone. You need to turn from your sin and turn to Christ and cry out for Him to save you. That's how He forgives your sins. And when He forgives you and makes you a believer, He also makes you a worshiper. If you'd like to speak to somebody, one of our leaders, about being a true, genuine believer, having your sins forgiven, then I would encourage you to come up when we close the service. One of our leaders will be right here at the front and you can speak to him. But I'm going to give you a few moments now to, to talk to the Lord and to worship him. Father, we are humbled to think that you would want our worship. Humbled to think that this is what brings you pleasure and yet you have, you have no needs. You don't need our worship, but you want it. Lord, help us individually to worship you, to adore you. Lord, may, may we individually just get alone with you, sing to you, share with you what we think of you, talk about your beauty, your holiness, your righteousness, talk to you in such intimate terms and ways. Lord, may that carry over into our church service that... Uh, we would really be able to enter into the, the true spirit of worship. And may, and, and may you help us, Lord, as for some this will be new. Lord, I pray for those who may not know you, like years ago the Samaritan woman didn't know you, worshiping foolish things in ignorance. 
I pray that you would work in the hearts of those who, who may be just like her, that they would be drawn to Christ for salvation and thus become a true worshiper of the Father. Pray that you'll take these words, Lord, apply it in our lives, and may we be changed for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody worships something. Some even worship a God they have never met. God is seeking true worshipers, ones who know him and love him with all their heart. If you would like to talk to someone about how to know God and worship him in spirit and in truth, get in touch with us at Verse by Verse by calling 727-239-0306 or by contacting this radio station. You can also visit our website, Lakeside Chapel, all one word, dot com. Thanks for joining us for Verse by Verse today. We depend upon you, our listeners, to help us cover the costs of this ministry. If you would like to partner with us through prayer or a financial gift, please give us a call. For Pastor Steve and the rest of the staff here, I'm Jerry Pruden, inviting you to join us next time here on Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse by We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.